is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast summer edition. That's right, summer vibes here. Your host Dan, taking you to a chill, warm period of the year, Nick, and we're just having fun while brand new Busby's away, and you know, just no rules, just right. That's <laughs> yeah. Whenever, <laughs> whenever the Busby's not here, you know, we tend to color outside the lines a little bit. We tend to maybe go off script a little bit more. We tend to get nasty grams from from one Busby um, saying, "Why did you, why did you guys spend ten minutes discussing Indian food on a on a podcast that's about Chelsea Football Club?" It's because we can, Busby. It's because we can. You have no power to change it. That's why. So look. Um, Excited for this one, guys, because it is the continuation, Dan, of episode one of our of our summer series with uh, with a great guest, CFC Central, otherwise known as Sam. That's right. And Sam, welcome back, because this episode is all about the attack. We had too much to talk about with three defenders that we had to break it up into two episodes. So uh, thank you for uh, sticking around for a second episode uh, for this week. Thank you so much. It feels like I've never been away. Pun intended, but <laughs> but love, love coming here and, and glad to do another episode with you amazing guys. So really, really looking forward to this. And thank you so much for bringing me on here. Well, again, the pleasure is ours and the pleasure is really for the listeners to get to take advantage of the knowledge you bring on these individual players. And we're going to jump in because, again... Todd Bowley hasn't slept in, I think, 182 hours and is uh, mainlining five-hour energy. And so at the end of the day, he has uh, consumed about 500 hours of energy, and Mm -hmm. uh, he's just nonstop at the moment. We're going to talk about attackers. We're going to talk about what Chelsea may need to add some of those goals that can help us maybe start to catch up with a Liverpool or a City. And the three players that we're going to get into are Dembele, Richarlison, and Raheem Sterling. But before we do that, we just want to take a couple of seconds to say, hey, if uh, you want to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd super appreciate that. Helps people find the show. Helps people uh, allow us to uh, beat our chests a little bit and be like, hey, we're a great Chelsea podcast. Very nice. And then uh, join us on Patreon. We've got a great community of people and uh, extra content for you as well. So it's a good place to go. But Nick, summer tour give people a little capsule a little nugget of information and then we'll talk about some attackers summer tour coming up uh we will have official event brights for anything uh that we're doing um just so that that we get people the right information in the right places uh we're going to vegas we're going to charlotte we're going to orlando those things are a fact dan has already booked the travel so there's no going back now because the flights were too damn expensive uh for anything else so uh we're gonna be there um what we're going to do, what, what we're going to do in Vegas, if I could talk, is something kind of fun on Friday for our Discord and Patreon community. Uh, TBD, you'll get the invite. Uh, we are also planning a live show with one of our journalist friends. Um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There um, on either Friday before uh, the Chelsea event at Rira, or on the Saturday before everything kind of kicks off from a uh, from a partying perspective. Uh, we're also going to do a bit of a pool party, and then we're g- we will record on Sunday, kind of our post Club America match review in the Blue Wire Studio. So there will be event brights for those things in Vegas. There will also be a, an event bright for our pre uh, or our night before uh, live recording in Charlotte uh, before the uh, next day, which I heard will get rowdy on a Wednesday in Charlotte. These folks love it. Um, so there will be an event bright for that, and then certainly kind of the same game plan for Orlando the night before. Do something day of, have some fun. If you're going to any of these locations, 
um, whether it's uh, with someone or just by yourself, reach out. We're, you know, I think like Brandon said on Friday, we're happy to be the conduit to introduce you to more people and to get you more ingrained in the community. Uh, our goal is to be a complimentary uh, aspect to all three of these events. We know that there's been a lot of planning done through Chelsea in America and from Chelsea themselves who are going to you know, show up and show out on this tour. Um, and so our goal is to not have counter programming or anything like that. We just want to have fun and we want to engage with you as much as possible. So deep breath. That's what I got. All right. Well, that is all the extra action at the top. And we're just going to jump right in because how can you not with the attackers at Chelsea are being linked to this summer? Now that we know that the Lukaku saga at least is kicked down the road for one more year, and uh, we don't have to think about him in a Chelsea shirt for the foreseeable future. And it's going to start with one that has drawn a little bit of division, I think, Nicholas, between Chelsea supporters, some very excited, some maybe less excited, some thinking this is kind of what the attack needs, some thinking why are we just taking players from City that maybe doesn't improve us. Raheem Sterling, dividing opinion. How do you feel about Sterling coming to Chelsea? Uh, it's an interesting one, right? Uh, I think you would be well within your rights to, you know, be curious as to why City uh, are are potentially going to let him go. Um, do do they see something that other teams don't? Does he simply not fit the system anymore due to the arrival? Of, of one Erling Holland that, you know, that Pep is going to look to play. I mean, that's entirely feasible, right? Players at Chelsea, you know, even recently, even ones that have gone to Inter Milan don't necessarily fit a system. And then it's a tough role for them, for them to play in their, in their career advancement. So um, I, I'm intrigued by this one um, largely, I think because of, uh, of the goal scoring capabilities, not as much on the chance creation, but um, for me, it would be interesting, and again, like we did last time, except in one very specific case, we're not talking fee, we're not talking money in this episode, right? Because it's not ours to play with, it's theirs to play with, and they have to invest it in the right places. So we are simply just looking at the profile of player that would come in uh, to Chelsea and whether or not we think they would be a good fit. The, this profile player is someone who's Premier League proven. He's played at Liverpool and City and done well in both places. Uh, he's won a bunch. And as Matt Law alluded to, I'm really curious about this one because I didn't know it. He's apparently uh, one of the, the the three biggest leaders in the England team, too, which is intriguing. Uh, he's obviously done a ton of work on uh, racial equity as well in, in the UK and trying to make that a a better, more uh, equitable place uh, for 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 all. So uh, I'm intrigued by all of the intangibles as well as, as what I think are some pretty decent uh, goal and assist tallies over the years and looking for us to kind of better understand how to utilize this player with our friend, Sam. Oh, thank you so much, Nick. I think you've sort of like encompassed everything Raheem Sterling is about is before I even go into playing style or what his numbers sort of talk about his story itself is, is incredible if I can use that word. It's just the first time I read it, I was like, wow, the amount of stuff he had to overcome as a young kid just to make it here and and playing for you know the national team at the age of 19 for a country that tends to produce an incredible amount of talent. There's a lot of pressure. There's a there's a lot that comes with that responsibility. And uh, I remember like uh, I think his father was murdered when he was two years old. Um his mom 
had to leave him and his sister in Jamaica to get a degree. Uh, so she moved to England and he moved there when he was five years old. And, you know, his mom was working as a cleaning lady uh, at a hotel and he used to wake up at five in the morning and clean the toilets. And they used to eat meals out of a, out of a vending machine every day. So to go from that to having that amount of pressure to having that amount of responsibility, it just speaks volumes about who he is. He's an incredibly resilient person, like you mentioned, to have that longevity in, in the Premier League, to have played for Liverpool, to have played for Manchester City. I think it speaks, even before we get to his numbers and everything, it speaks volumes about who he is and, and what his motivation is to do well. And I think that's more important than anything else. You have to look at character. And I, I think that's a sort of a common theme with everybody that we're looking at. We are looking at national team leaders. We are looking at dressing room leaders, people who have strong characters, who are able to you know, bring that big game pedigree with them, which is a huge plus. So I think that's that's incredible with Sterling. You know, these are all things that I think would resonate with supporters as maybe some of the missing mentality that we've drawn a little bit of a gap on at times over the past few years, particularly as you've interjected, uh, sorry, uh, injected rather, some Chelsea youth into the setup who've added a little bit of that connection to the club. You've added a few senior players who have found a love for Chelsea at, at points. Thiago Silva just immediately because, yeah, that's just the man he is. <laughs> uh, Antonio Rudiger, you know, definitely found it at times. And Golakante as well has been, again, that uh, uh, the individual, uh, the, the the messy for Chelsea the uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what he brings, according to Tuchel. I think, though, that this is the first time you would have, you know, Mount kind of is a little bit of the midfield attacking hybrid, but I think you would have someone who's a more attacker first individual that would fit that leadership mentality that we have been missing kind of in the profile of player for, for some period of time. And Lukaku was supposed to maybe add a little bit of that. You're not getting that, you know, with, with Ziyech or, or Pulisic, you know, kind of currently in the side or Callum. So this would be, I think Nick giving you someone at the top of the pitch. So you kind of have someone in, in the mid, someone at the top, someone in the back, and you have, you know, obviously in Edouard Mendy, you know, a leader in, you know, between the sticks, you would start to maybe develop a little bit more of a, a leadership spine uh, in your 11, which would be very interesting. And again, has the acumen of understanding what it takes to win a title over successive seasons, which this team, as much as they've won in terms of domestic cup competitions or in the winning the champions league most recently there's not necessarily that same knowledge of what it takes to get there how frequently to get it done and that could be something that might be invaluable particularly as we maybe look to add one to two younger players who have not even come close to that that level yeah i mean uh, that that's interesting to me too right winning the league is a slog it is hard um you have to do it over 38 matches. You have to do it consistently. You have to beat every other team in the top six. Um, and, you know, to play in a pep system, obviously, is a, is a wholly different system than what Tuchel runs. There's no doubt about that. They're, they're polar opposites at times. But if you think about the um, 
to me, like the possession dominance that both teams can show at times. This is a player who is really intriguing to me for the way that he operates in little pockets of space. Um, it's something I want to see more from, from like Pulisic, um, you know, even. But Raheem Sterling has done this his entire career. He's not a big guy, right? He's uh, slight of stature. Um, he's quick. He's not fast, right? And quick and fast are two different things. Um, you know, he's not going to blaze down the ring like a, a, the the ring. What am I saying? Uh, the field like Alfonso Davies or someone of that of that caliber, right? Who has sprinter speed. That's just not his area. But in the box, he is able to quickly maneuver the ball into a spot where he can get a decent shot or make a late run um, to to receive a Kevin De Bruyne uh, De Bruyne a master pass through the through the middle of everyone to to convert a chance. And so. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued by that, although I think the thing that you have to kind of consider when when making the translation from City to Chelsea is that uh, we don't have Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> um, Kevin De Bruyne and, and Bernardo Silva and uh, Zinchenko and, and a lot of these players who play for City are excellent chance creators in and of their own right. And I think at Chelsea, that is something that, you know, as as... Sam alluded to in, in the first episode when we were talking about defense, you know, we, we haven't necessarily had a great amount of chance creation. And I would argue haven't, even though we overperformed XG, I don't think we're very good at putting away our chances uh, either. Uh, I think that the eye test would tell you that. So this would definitely be more of the putting away of chances type of player to me than, than the creating of chances. But I don't know, Sam, do, do you agree with that, that in terms of profile, this is more of a goal-scoring threat than a chance creation threat? 100%. I think he's he's definitely there for his finishing prowess. I mean, 78 goals in the past five seasons. He's hit double digits in each of the past five seasons. So he's definitely there for someone who can finish. I think except one season, which was the 2021 season, he's outperformed his expected goals, like non-penalty expected goals. So despite all those chances you see him missing, he's actually a, a very, very good finisher. He tends to probably fluff the simpler ones, but you know, bafflingly, he tends to convert the more difficult ones. And like you mentioned, inside the box, his ability to create separation, just maneuver the ball and create that yard to shoot, I think is his greatest asset. He's able to do that consistently in the tightest of spaces. He gets into good positions. He's able to finish. To have that kind of profile, possession-heavy profile, somebody who's able to do that against static defenses, against watertight defenses, I think will be an asset. And I completely agree that we need somebody to be able to exploit his movement. We haven't been able to do that. Like, we don't have a De Bruyne. We don't have, you know, that profile. We tend to create a lot of our openings purely through just pressing well, capitalizing on mistakes, and then and figuring out, you know, the easiest way forward. But um, I think he's he's good at chance creation also. And, you know, he he tends to create a, a decent amount of chances. I think in terms of big chances created, he's basically hovered around the 10 mark. And just for context, Mount created 12 this past season. So it's actually a pretty good number. If you can get somewhere around eight or nine assists, he's got about, I think, 11, 7, 5. Um, in the 19-20 season, he got one assist, even though he created nine big chances. So if you can sort of get people to capitalize on his creation abilities as well, then you have somebody who not only provides goals, but also bridges the gap in terms of chance creation. So I think overall, in terms of the PL proven profile, 
he's he's probably the best option out there. So 100%. I think I saw a funny tweet from a good friend of the pod, uh, Chicago Dimitri, who threw out a comment saying people maybe are expecting too high and overhyping Raheem Sterling to the point they think he's Eden Hazard when he's going to be closer to a Pedro. Um, mm-hmm. Where does he rank in between the Pedro to Hazard spectrum of attackers in terms of what he would bring? <laughs> wow. That's no, a tough question. <laughs> That's a, that's a real tough question. That's a real tough question. But I, I completely agree with, with Dimitri. I think he is definitely in the Pedro mold, somebody who, in terms of movement, is arguably like excellent. He knows where to run, when to run, capitalizes on a lot of great positions. I think his weak foot finishing has also improved in the last couple of years. So I think he's closer to a Pedro than to a Hazard. Uh, I haven't really been lifted off my seat the way Eden Hazard used to when he used to like turn people inside out, but and, and probably the running style with your hands at the back and running like a triceratops with your chest puffed out. I think that's sort of like a <laughs> that's a little bit of an off-putting aesthetic type vibe. But I mean, in terms of Eden Hazard, I don't see that grace, but he is super effective. You know, I think he's he's closer to a Pedro style, and and that's a huge compliment. He's extremely intelligent. He's got a very technical play style, so. I think I think I would place him closer to that than to Azar. Very, very fair comment. I think the thing that may be most concerning is obviously a little bit of the year-over-year kind of decline in terms of usage relative to other players. Obviously, Pep has continued to rotate a little more, where you know Sterling would be a featured player, most likely a starter in every Premier League match that he is fit and available for for this side. And he's that's a ton of minutes on those legs, which is, you know, I think another concern, you know, Nick as well. You kind of look at someone like Harry Kane, who's kind of picked up, um, you know, similar amounts of minutes on, on his kind of frame. Would that be a concern for you as well? Or, you know, is there anything where maybe you other reasons might you, why you might not be excited? Yeah, I mean, the, the attack is trickier, right? Because I think the defense, you have some clear identified needs. The attack, we have not sold anyone yet, although Ziyech seems to be the closest to going, and Lukaku has, has been loaned out, and I would rather not think of that player ever again. Um, so I, I, I guess my thing is more of a, like, how are you piecing this puzzle together type of scenario instead of a, like, oh, we need a left center back and a right center back. Like, those are the two <laughs> needs that we have, right? Um, so... You know, we have a bunch of players who can play on the left right now. We have uh, Callum, we have Christian, we have Timo. Um, how does a Raheem Sterling fit uh, into this scenario? Does he come in and uh, is uh, recognized as an automatic starter? Does he come in and play in a fluid front three? Uh, do, you know, I, I'm, I'm more curious about, like, how to fit these these puzzle pieces together than anything else. But I think it wouldn't be outlandish to say that he would come in and probably, well, he would be a, a more um, sure thing than, than some of our other options in that, in that area, uh, just based on his, on his prowess and based on his stats the last few years. So I, you know, I, I agree with the Pedro comment from, from Dimitri as well, but people don't realize how good Pedro was for us until, yes. until he left. Um, and so if if the worst thing that happened is he came in and played the Pedro role, I think 
thumbs up from me. I, I appreciate that. Compared to other signing attackings we've made over the past uh, five years, it would be an upgrade in terms of talent ID and actual on-pitch performance. But that's going to wrap us on Sterling, but we're going to take a real quick so, uh, break. Oh, Dan, Dan, just just to, sorry, just sorry. I mean, just to interrupt because we're on Sterling. I think uh, Chicago, Dimitri was the same guy who sort of mentioned the, the minutes point as well, you know, in terms of how much he's played. So I just crunched some numbers and uh, he's played 32,666 minutes for Liverpool and City since the age of 16. If you include England minutes, it's 38,219. Um, this is without the Club World Cup, without preseason minutes, and without other basically non-serious fixtures. And combined, he's played 545 games, and he's still 27 years old. So in terms of burnout, fatigue, definitely, definitely a major concern, like 100%. I would be worried, uh, but I think that's up to the physio department to sort of do that in the medical and find out how his limbs are and and what kind of wear and tear is there. But I mean, it's just not physical as well. I mean, sometimes mental burnout can also be something. Psychological burnout can also be an issue. But the good thing is, I mean, he's from London. So if he does move to Chelsea, he'll be closer to home as well. So those points sort of tend to get overlooked when you're looking at performances and all. But uh, I think those two things considered, it it could be a concern, at least. All right. Well, one last concern before we end our conversation Rahe Sterling and talk about the rest of the attackers that Chelsea are potentially looking at but we're going to take a real quick break now and thank these sponsors for financially supporting the show we'll be right back alright our next partner has a product that I use literally every day I started taking AG1 because well it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in you know we're all focused on our macros with protein carbs and and fat and now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables it's just hard to eat that many servings a day so uh, i started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient i'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system so what is this stuff well with one delicious scoop of ag1 you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food sourced superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work. Drink it. It it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. So as we transition, another name that has been very often touted because of the connection with one manager and one player is Usman Dombele from Barcelona, Nick. And the... He's another one that could be coming to Chelsea. Uh, Albeit there are some concerns about wages, uh, again, which we will not get into. We will not get into. But <laughs> what are your thoughts on 
him as a player and what he might bring and, and how excited you, you may or may not be. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one. Uh, you know, we've we've had a lot of conversation about him over the last uh, few weeks, and so I won't you know be super repetitive uh, on on him as a, a player. I again in the give Thomas Tuchel what he wants category. If Thomas Tuchel wants him, you know, I understand uh, why that would be the case, especially if Ziyech moves out and kind of creates some room on that right hand side for a player of his uh, ability to come in. Uh, he is more of a chance creator than he is a finisher. Um, so he would come in uh, largely to um, distribute the ball effectively and, and create chances for the other forwards and, and potentially midfielders. Um, looking at you, Connor Gallagher. And then, you know, I think the the question is, more of one of, of when when do you pull this trigger? Is it after you've potentially sold one or more attackers in your lineup and you've assessed all current available options in the market and then you pull this this trigger because right now and, uh, you know, Nizar Kinsel has reported this as well. It, Barcelona aren't moving on the wage package that he wants. Uh, PSG have not made an offer. Chelsea have not advanced talks, right? So this is one that's kind of in, in no man's land. And I think his contract's up this week. Um, so, you know, this would be a free transfer. However, free transfers aren't free. Free transfers mean that you yeah, may not have to pay a uh, exorbitant amount from from a I need, I need a button to stop the wage stuff. I need a I, button to come up with a noise. I'm just saying, I'm just saying <laughs> it, it's not free. So. I, I'm intrigued by this one, but I don't necessarily know if it is the the priority within the the transfer talks that we're, that we're making right now. Um, add to the fact that you know there have been injury problems in the past. I you know I'm I'm a little bit. I understand why people want him. I I don't know if he he's my number one attacking target. I'll just throw it out like that. So, Sam, as you hear that and you, you think about the research that you've done heading into this episode, how where would you kind of guide Nick if you wanted him to be more excited about the Dembele signing, if you wanted to hype him up? And then we can get to if get you me wanted, hyped, to, Sam. If you wanted to pull him back down to earth. We'll get into that one after the fact. Bring me crashing down Good to stuff. earth, Sam. Come on. <laughs> no, it's tough because you make very logical points in terms of um, everything that you said about you know, where he fits, what the philosophy is or what he offers. Some similar doubts in my head also. I did a thread on him some some time ago and I went through about 15 or 20 games right from when he was playing um, at Dortmund under Tuchel to see just how he had used him. And um, I, I think there is this signing is sort of interesting because I think Tuchel sees it and he says, I think I can do better than what Barcelona are doing with him. Mm. You know, I, I feel like that is his his look in terms of like what he's doing, what he's producing in terms of numbers. I know this guy, I've played with him at, at Dortmund. In terms of his tactical profile, I think Barcelona are missing a trick. So, for example, if um, I just go by stats, I when I was looking at how he performs by position, his best goal scoring numbers are all on the left. Whenever he plays on the left-hand side, he tends to score more. And I think it was an interview sometime when he was playing for Rennes that he said his left foot and right foot are both strong, but he tends to shoot better with his left. He tends to prefer shooting with his left. So uh, 
he he likes scoring from those left left positions. When he, when he gets there, his XG numbers, his goal scoring numbers. I think um, just uh, I'll just crunch the numbers. So at left forward, for example, in 13 games he scored eight and he's assisted, assisted five, which is almost a goal contribution every game. So mm-hmm. and and all of his numbers, like you know, left wing, left attacking mid, left mid, are all top four goals in terms of like his goal numbers. So maybe he looks at it and says, okay, maybe I need to put him at left wing and see what kind of attacking output he produces. Because Xavi, I think, has looked at the fact that he tends to assist better on the right and he's kept him there. And uh, his chance creation numbers are good. But again, like Nick, I think you have a very valid concern because when I look at his output in this past season, it's it's a purple patch. It's something that I would be very, very wary of. It's 13 assists in half a season. I think that's unreal to expect on a on a year-to-year basis. So I think it will regress to the mean. I think he will come back to probably, if he can push himself, 10 assists in a season. And if Tuchel thinks that, yes, he offers a lot of tactical versatility, so I can put him at, he's actually played 10 different positions in his career. So he, he can play a lot of positions, including wingback. So... It is, I think, Tuchel's sort of inclination to say he's on a free. His wages, if they can be controlled, I can get him and I can utilize him in the right position. I think I can get the best out of him. I, I mean, I've been uh, I've been told by many in the Usman Dembele hive that the injury problems are a thing of the past, that he yes. has hired a professional, I think, trainer, nutritionist, uh, and that... Barcelona upgraded their their setup uh, to help more players avoid injury and that the second half of the season, 13 assists, one goal, were what was much more indicative of the player that this that this guy is rather than some of the injury riddled past seasons with Barcelona, which are just facts, guys like they are just facts that he has been injured a lot and. The same people who came after me for saying, oh, you're overrating the injury thing are probably uh, saying the same uh, sorts of things about Pulisic at Chelsea. So can we just be sane about this? Um, given given that setup, right, given the fact that maybe he's taking, um, you know, w- with some new support system around him, he's he's able to take this next step. You know, it, it, you you made it sound like this is a player that on the right hand side is largely a chance creator. On the left hand side is a little bit more of a goal scoring threat. How do you see him fitting into the current setup at Chelsea? Right, because uh, I think Ziyech is the most likely to go. Lukaku's already gone. Um, you know, there's some doubt about Pulisic, Werner uh, on, on the left hand side. What are your thoughts about his profile and where he fits in best? Um, that's a that's a tough question to be honest, but I don't know why people came after you. I think he's missed 798 days with injury. That's a hundred games for Barcelona. So those injury concerns were definitely valid, and I think it's valid because he is also somebody who tends to rely a lot on his acceleration and his pace. And when you tend to do that, you tend to have a lot of soft muscle injuries. I mean, you look at Pulisic. You can't say that he's unprofessional. I mean, this guy is. You know, captaining America, he is absolutely incredible as a professional. But it's just sometimes your body can't keep up with the requirements that that you tend to exert on your body when you're playing top-level football. And I think it's been accentuated with his lifestyle issues. Like when you said he was 
very unprofessional in the beginning, used to stay up all night playing Fortnite. And then, you know, there would be boxes of takeaways outside his room and Barcelona said, this is not going to, you know, cut it. And most importantly, then he got married. So um, I think those support systems around him have sort of brought him down to earth and have sort of said that, okay, now what? Now, can you make this purple patch into a regular thing? And and that's what the risk is on. You know, can you can you capitalize on this and, and take a gamble saying this will be replicated over the next three, four years? In the in terms of the best position, I think the best position, even numbers-wise, even on the eye test, I think is when you allow him to come into the center, somewhere mm. in the central zones. So if he can operate in, say, the formation that we've got with the 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-1-2, the, the role mount plays when he collects between lines. I think somebody like him who can go on either foot, is comfortable shooting either way, can create from a central zone, I think is his best position. And when he played that role under Tuchel at Dortmund, it was a very adventurous formation, a 3-1-4-2, where he used to play as one of the two attacking midfielders with two strikers up front. So he used to create a lot. It was just incredible to watch what he couldn't do on the wing. He was super creative. He used to pick out through balls. And for example, he would switch his body to the left. He would just tilt his body to the left and then dink a pass with his right through two defenders for a through ball. And you'd be like, wow, I never see these things on the wing. So arguably a central position, if we do continue with the 3-4-2-1 or a 3-4-1-2, I think could be a great role for him. Somebody who has the freedom to pull all of his you know, rabbits out of the hat, that is arguably his best position. But if he want chances on the right, if you want goals on the left. But I think the overall philosophy is, can you get a front three that presses well, can rotate positionally, and can perform on the left, center, and right? I think Sterling also fits the brief. So this, he can is, the, play this as, is the return yeah. to the fluid front front three that we saw Chelsea win the Champions League with. If you have a Absolutely. Dembele, Absolutely. a Sterling, and a you know one of the other attackers in our kind of existing construct. Yeah, I mean, Kai tends to, now he's been used in his second season as a left-sided attacker and he's he's improved upon his, he had a very bad game against Arsenal uh, during Lukaku's debut. And after that, he sort of slowly started improving on the left-hand side. Uh, I think that goal against Spurs where he broke his finger was from the left-hand side as well. So he is improving his game on the left-hand side. So the ideal thing would be to have Sterling, Havertz and Dembele and then switch them around positionally all game. And to see what they offer. And if they can offer overloads, for example, Sterling loves going on the left. He can also do things from the right. See if that creates more issues than, say, a static number nine like Lukaku. So I think that's the idea. One of the other things you called out here as, as a net positive for Dembele is that he is a fantastic dribbler. He's unpredictable 1v1. Um, he clearly has, you know, when healthy, the uh, pace and acceleration to get away from players. Is this... Um, you know, I guess from from a dribbling perspective and, you know, kind of making your way through some of these low blocks that Chelsea play uh, more frequently these days, it seems. Is this a player that you think can help unlock some of the chances that we struggle against um, with some of our, our wide formations in a 3-4-3? 100%. I think what Dembele is very good at is chaos. Often, more often than not, the, the thing that he does is the first few times, right, you'll, you'll see the fullback come against him and Dembele will just breeze past him. He'll, he'll do this two times. The third time, the centre-back is going to get nervous and try to cover. So he's going to come drift outside and say, okay, I'm going to try and give you a 2v1 versus Dembele. 
Now, when you put this into the fullback's head, when you when you threaten like that, it tends to have a very good psychological effect, and it tends to leave a lot of you know hesitancy on on either player's part to commit fully or to think what is going to happen. So he does tend to do those things. He he's very good one v one. He's unpredictable. He can go either side. He can shoot. He can pass. So in something in terms of 1v1 threat, I think it's something we've missed after Pulisic got injured, after Callum Hudson-Odoi has got injured. It's just lacking that, that pacey threat, not just on against static defenses, but even on the break. Somebody who can offer you that counter-attacking threat. You just give him the ball and, and watch him move 40 yards at like blistering pace. So that's, that's, a, that's a huge plus as well. It's the only concerning thing for me is, I think his numbers are a little baffling to me. Um, his... Shots are sort of increasing per 90. He's taking more shots in the past three years, but he's scoring less. So it's it's a little bit of an issue. He's also taking shots from further away. Um, in I think three seasons ago, it was 15.2, which is inside the box. Then it was 17.2 last season. And this season, it was 19.8. So he's taking most of his shots from outside the box. So can you fix it? Can you get him closer to goal? Does that improve his goal tally? Maybe Tuchel's looking at these numbers and saying, yeah, why aren't Barcelona doing this? Why aren't you getting him closer to goal in spaces where he can maneuver well, where he can finish well? That's, I think, the the bottom line for this deal. How much potential can you can you squeeze out of this guy? I think there's some exciting thought exercises, uh, whether you play him on the left or the right, and you could potentially overlap him with a Ben Showell or a Reese James or a Kunde in what they could do in terms of making space for for one another and and that's probably the most exciting i think facet of it to me is that the combination of a dembele plus someone else or the combination of sterling plus someone else in in how they would work with others on the team is probably where i think it makes it easier to conceptualize what they could do combining up, linking up on either side. And, and obviously with Dembele, you get a little bit of the opportunity to think about that uh, on the left or on the right, which is not the way you can always think about every player uh, who might be a, a target for us. Absolutely. I have bang on. Excellent. Well, I, I think we might be done with Dembele for now. You know, look, if he gets signed, we'll, we'll do a whole episode on him. Don't worry. Go. But... The last one, which, again, a little bit of a head-scratcher, but when Matt Law mentions that Chelsea are evaluating players as potential signings, you have to stand up, you have to take notice, you have to do the the sniff tests, you have to make sure you understand exactly what Chelsea would be going after. And again, Nick, when you heard the name Richarlison, thrower of the flare into the crowd, linked with Chelsea... How did you feel about this one? Uh, I mean, we've been linked to Richarlison when when he was at Watford back in the day. You know, like uh, this is, I think, kind of a long, uh, long love affair for whatever reason. Look, Richarlison's different than Dembele and and Sterling from a profile perspective. I think he's much more of uh, pressing forward um, than than either of those players are. I think he is a lot more of a wild card from a personality standpoint um, than, than either of those players are. Um, and, you know, I, I, I say that in the terms of the way that he is on, on the pitch, obviously. I think the my view of, of Richarlison has always been like, like not 
quite as contained as Diego Costa was from a like a pure bastard perspective. Like I, I, I want more bastards in this team. I think that's a quicker way for us to get ahead in the league is to have players who will take it to the other team and and make it known that that Chelsea are not there to be had or to be taken advantage of, that they're going to fight just as hard. But I, I don't know if he has the, the control um, to, to yet kind of be a master of those dark arts, per se. Um, so I, he's an interesting one for me. He's been an, an important player for, for Everton over the, the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I think before that seemed to be like this this bright star at Watford. Um, but it, it's an interesting one because it's just not the type of profile, Sam, that, that I thought we'd be going after, to be frank with you. I agree. I think um, in terms of mentality, he's arguably like somebody who can make it big time. You tend to be a little underwhelmed when they come from from sides that haven't really done well in the Premiership. But when I look at his numbers, again, you're spot on in terms of like a defensive forward profile, somebody who presses relentlessly, somebody who like the term shithouse, I think fits him perfectly in terms of antagonizing opponents yes. and trying to hassle them and trying to create some kind of room. He does tend to fit the brief very well. And and we have to remember that in a in a substandard Everton side, he's hit double digits three out of four seasons. So that's pretty good. I think he's uh, sort of um, proving that maybe if you superimpose him on a better team, maybe he can come up with the goods better. Um, he does create chances as well. And um, the thing is, I... I felt maybe I was missing a trick because I was as sort of confused as you. I was like, look, it, it's a logical signing, but what does he bring in terms of in our profile? When I look at his passing, for example, it's the same issue that we have um, with Lukaku, somebody who had very few touches, that infamous seven-touch game against Palace. This guy hasn't touched 70% for pass percentage in any of his five seasons in England. So he is somebody who tends to be on the periphery of a game tends to be more off the ball than on the ball. So what? why exactly are we going after him? So I went on and, and saw his Brazil games, how he plays for them. And he plays pretty similar. I mean, he's pretty much a similar player. He doesn't like link up very high or he doesn't offer a greater volume of passing or he doesn't offer a very different profile to his Everton, this thing. So I am a little confused. I am a little perturbed by it. It wouldn't be a bad signing, but I don't think it would be... I wouldn't start him in a CL final, for example, if we get there. So I think the question mark I would have, and I think you underline this, is when you put him in a team that's going to have more of the ball, that's going to get a chance to play a little bit more on the front foot and doesn't have to defend for 90 minutes because they are just bad, horrendous, (laughs) terrible, disgusting, uh, Look, there's a lot of things that would improve for him coming to Chelsea and would potentially allow him to not have a center backs level of uh, performance stats to review. I, I think that's where I can see that if you're saying, well, he could, look what he did in a bad Everton side. He was still able to find goals. He was still able to find assists. He was still able to get double digits in, you know, three of the uh, you know four last seasons that he's played there. And has had, I think, a couple of injury kind of spells too. So he's had a chance to to do that when he hasn't always played every single match. I think that does show some promise. But am I am I over indexing 
on that, Nick, as the, the, the dream of what could happen if you maybe give him a partnership with a, a Kai Havertz and you play a two up top or, you know, you maybe kind of see what he does, you know, flanked by a, another set of, you know, def- attacking players. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the thing that I am thinking about with, with Richarlison is, you know, his pressing numbers, I think, are, are probably the thing that I'm most uh, pumped about because I think when Chelsea played that high-press, insane system, and, and we'll call out the Real Madrid game, but there are plenty of other games where, where we played that system, we were – that was the best version of Chelsea that we saw last year, frankly. Um and I, you know, I think he has a lot of that sort of, um, you know, pressing mentality, chase after something, even if there's a 2% chance that you're going to intercept it and, and, you know, take the ball forward. Like, I think he just has that sort of hustle, which is great. But then I guess my question is, you already have Timo Werner who does that job, uh, you know, and, and converts at a better clip than Richarlison does for Chelsea. Like he has more goals and more assists over the last two years by far than, than what Richarlison has. So in that note, um, Sam, are you better off just keeping Timo Werner and playing him in that crazy ass press system? <laughs> if that's the, if that's the type of forward you're going after? I would say so. When, when dad was, Dan was mentioning that, uh, you know, maybe we surround him with better players and, and see where he goes. I did watch a couple of games where he was with good players, you know, Philippe Coutinho, Lucas Paqueta, guys who had good seasons. And and he he did pretty well. Like the World Cup qualifiers, for instance, he has six goals in his last six starts. And I think he's played like five, 30 minutes. He's created four big chances. So he does show that he's ready to compete in terms of that center forward role whenever Neymar chooses to sort of leave. I think he wants to step in and, and that's his, his goal. So... Uh, but again, like, I think it's a fair question to ask, okay, he presses well, but what does he offer other than that? Does he offer link-up play? A little bit. I mean, I see glimpses, but I don't see consistent enough to say that this can be an asset in our front line. He does tend to create good non-penalty expected goals. He tends to create stuff himself. He's he's a good dribbler. He can, he can play on either flank. It's something that we lack with Lukaku. You know, a centre-forward who can who can run the flanks as well. Richarlison tends to do that. He He's comfortable playing on the left wing. Other than that, I, I think like maybe there are better options. You know, maybe there is a profile more suited to it. There are other names that I see in the market that we haven't really gone for. But And, and for example, I would say Serge Gnabry. You know, if you, yes. if Sadio Mane is coming to Bayern, the love of God. Yes. why wouldn't you, <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you go after somebody like Gnabry and say, look, you've got Musiala, you've got Muller, you've got Sadio Mane, you've got Koman, you've got Sane. When are you going to play? So why don't you make the switch? You've got a year on your contract. Play as the center forward or play as, play as a part of a fluid front three with Dembele, with Sterling, with, with Kai Havertz and see where that takes you. For me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. So I see, it's not like Richarlison is a bad option. No way at all. In terms of a defensive forward profile, somebody offers an aggressive press grade. But better options available. Well, I think you just uh, sang music to Nick's ears in the Serge Gnabry <laughs> reference there. Yeah, we so we're coming back later this week with a whole profile on Serge Gnabry. Yeah, I, no, I, nice. I I would love that. I, I think that's the player I've identified too. I think him and Chris, uh, him and Nkunku, I should say, are both players that I think are 
maybe even more interesting than the three we listed here uh, from a type of player that that could help us create more chances and score more chances. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's an interesting point on Richarlison that I, I don't. If you if you were using him for pressing and winning the ball back and being a bit of a bastard, you know, Timo is not a bastard in, in, in that sort of way. But like, I, I would just keep Timo at that point and you know be okay with the incredible amount of chances that he misses uh given his positioning uh because he does the pressing thing better for my money um and you know has a better output over these last few seasons uh, of course he's played in a much better team Everton were shocking last year but uh, even then you would be looking for someone like Richarlison to be coming off of of like a career year to get a move up to a team like Chelsea and that just wasn't really the case. I mean, 15 goal contributions is is fine, no no doubt, but that's not going to help Chelsea advance to the next level against a team like Liverpool or City in the league. All right. I completely so agree. There's Richarlison in a nutshell. We've talked about three attacking targets that Chelsea are considering in the market and maybe came up with a list of a few more that we need to send over to Todd or, or the think tank himself on uh, maybe some, some players that should be reviewed. But Nick, as it stands, the three players, one to ten scale, where are you saying you feel in terms of excitement for these three players? Uh, <laughs> well, they're all three very different players, um, as we've all referenced here i'm like a four out of ten for richarlison um no offense to the player i just don't think he helps us get to where we need to go i think i would raise my level of excitement for dembele actually um contrary to where i was before that because i i love the chaos and like the dribbling and and maybe creating chances out of nothing because i think that's something that we've missed a little bit so i'd probably give him like a six and a half or a seven and then I'm probably the same with Sterling, just from a, like, can we score some of these damn chances that that we give ourselves? Um, and so probably seven, six and a half and four. That would be my that'd be my level. OK, so, Sam, what's your one to ten ranking on these three? I, I mean, I word to word agree with with Nick there. So I think in terms of having an all round profile, PL proven, you're not going to get better than Sterling. Probably Harry Kane, but uh, Levy's not going to sell to us, especially. So <laughs> but, so I would say it's a 7.5 purely because of, I mean, the contract situation and, and everything. He's available. He's available for a good price, everything. So good chance creation, good goal scorer, get him. I would say 7.5 to 7, somewhere in between. Um, with Dembele, I would say, again, great profile, free agent. Sorry, again, but uh, if the wages are good, get him, I would say 6.57. Again, somebody who's, I would say I've been as excited to see as Eden Hazard. Some of the things that he's done in La Liga against defenders just, you know, blow you away. Absolutely blow you away. He's been spectacular on those 1v1 situations and things he does just purely with his speed. So I would say 6.57. And the Richarlison, I would say probably a four, four and a half. Not a bad signing, but like um, like Nick and, and you and I discussed, I think Gnabry is a great option. Yeah. And Kunku, again, next season, he could be available for somewhere around 60, 70 million if his release clause is what it is. Um, Musa Diaby is also some a really, really good forward that, that I've been watching at Leverkusen. So he could also develop into a very promising player if 
Newcastle don't get him this this window. So I think those three forwards are also people that I'm going to keep an eye on. So in the long term, I don't think it's a it's a great great choice. So somewhere around three point five four. So I think uh, I, I'm going to press all my attacking rankings by the fact that uh, Chelsea just have really struggled signing any attacking player for the last couple of years. And I, I don't think I could go above seven on any. I've just been hurt too much. <laughs> I've been hurt. And I think Sterling probably gets the highest at a seven. I think you go with Dembele at a six and Richarlison's like a one because I just don't think it's the signing that Chelsea makes if they're smart and looking to compete in the Premier League and be the big club that we we know we should be and should be kind of thinking about in terms of profile and player. So, yeah, um, super down on Charleston. Probably the most disappointing name I think we've been linked with from an attacking perspective. But uh, that, that's where I'm at. I will I will say that Sam did uh, in both of these episodes increase my uh, excitement around players that I was not as excited about. So uh, it's a credit to to your research. Sam and uh, and well done to uh, to change my mind a little bit on Kunde and Dabele. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm glad that I could do that. I'm I'm really happy to know that there is someone still in the Timo Werner hive. I've I've been a little disheartened with everybody talking <laughs> that's about. Not, oh, that's not Nick Verlaney. That is not Nick Verlaney. <laughs> Are you not? I oh thought, I thought no! No, no. I but oh. I mean comparatively, I, if you look at the numbers and you look at the way that he presses, like I, then you just keep him. Like if that's the. No, but can I can I can I just try and change your mind there? For example, let me let me just say that you know in the past three Champions League campaigns, okay, so he's played um, for RB Leipzig. He played. He started seven. He scored four, assisted two. For us. Uh, in the Champions League winning campaign, he started 10, scored 4, assisted 3. Last season, started 3, scored 4, assisted 2. In the Champions League, this guy comes alive. You know, when teams are willing to press you, when teams are willing to commit and leave spaces in behind, I think he's a weapon. He's an absolute weapon to have. It's just that when you see him in the Premier League and, and teams have the incentive of taking one point at Stamford Bridge, you're not going to commit. When I look at PPDA, which is, you know, um, against defensive actions, how much time you take before, how much passes do you do before you take a defensive action? Wolves were somewhere around 16 or 17 passes. They sit. They're not going to do anything. They're happy to do that. They have a great keeper who will sit back and save everything you throw at them. But in the Champions League, everybody is around 9, 10, 11. So it's quicker, it's faster. And a guy like this comes alive in the Champions League. So if you have to go deep, I might just keep him. Counterpoint. He's on three hundred twenty-five thousand a week, and you play more Premier League matches than Champions League matches. <laughs> fair enough. Fair so. enough. I mean, what's done is done. I feel like we've paid enough for him. He's on. I think he's on. Yeah, he's here. So, so then why would you buy Richarlison if you already have this? Absolutely. Player? I would. I would rather keep him. I would rather keep him and, and figure out something else. Yeah. But uh, yes, absolutely. Hope I've changed your mind a little bit there <laughs> regarding the Champions League stats. All right. Well, that is a a little bit of extra for this episode, a little sprinkle on top of Timo Werner love from our good friend Sam here to hopefully uh, help, you know, help change the minds potentially uh, if he does stay or doesn't go the other way in a player swap as uh, Bully is looking to completely change the way 
that dealing is done in the uh, in the Premier League and across Europe this summer. But that's going to wrap us up. Sam, thank you so much again for giving us a, a wonderful bit of education on three attacking targets for Chelsea. I, I think the listeners, I'm going to speak for them, have uh, walked away more informed about the, these players than they have been uh, before listening to this episode till the, uh, episode till the end of it. The time has flown by, to be honest. I've, I've really, really enjoyed myself here. And I've talked to you before the podcast. You know how how big an admirer I am of all the work that you guys do. It's incredible. I mean, over the years, the knowledge that I've got just purely by listening to you guys has been tremendous. So whatever I am, but whatever humble knowledge I have is is partly down to you guys as well. So, you know, please keep on doing this. Please just go full steam. You know, it's it's enjoyable. I speak you know, on behalf of all the listeners out there, just incredible, incredible stuff and love every moment of it. So, so basically what you said, Sam, is uh, instead of doing 214 episodes this season, we'll do 365 next year. Full <laughs> season day. An episode a day. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you bring me on more often, I'll give you two episodes every time you bring me See, on. See, so there you go. We're getting, get really getting banged for our buck here. Um, do you have an extra 160 episodes in you for the year? Because I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we I think that's what we need. But uh but look, man, you you've been tremendous. We we've, we've really enjoyed this. And uh listeners, you know where Central's at. Go go hit him up, show him some love uh for, for all the knowledge and all the incredible Twitter threads over the last year, year and a half. And uh and yeah, mutual admiration society. Let's and, do it. And on Twitter it's at CFC Central three. Three. Don't don't be don't be mistaken for one and two. Because they're they're fools. They're one, posers. They were taken. <laughs> they're, they're absolute trash accounts. <laughs> Many people are saying this. They're Many absolute people. garbage. CFC Central 3 is the real one. It's the real one, uh, the one to follow. You got to get there. <laughs> but that's going to wrap us up, listeners. So thank you, Sam. Thank you, Nick. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.